NRL 22 fans. I'm here with Jeremy and Bevan Walker, AKA Mr. And Mrs. 22 Lima Romeo. Uh, and I wanted to have them on the podcast because I thought it would be really fun to talk a little bit about their channel on YouTube. Um, something that, you know, maybe some of you guys have seen, if you haven't seen it, they do a, a preview of the course of fire every month. Um, I find it really interesting and I know a lot of people who find it helpful. Um, so you guys should definitely check that out. Uh, Jeremy and Bevan, you want to tell our listeners a little bit about you? Well, thank you, Ruth. Thanks for having me on the podcast today. Um, my name is Jeremy Walker, and I run the channel well with my beautiful wife here, uh, 22 Lima Romeo. We started NRL 22 in 2019. That was when I started building the rifle first. And I started doing the YouTube channel because I, f I found NRL 22 on YouTube. It was, I started searching how to accurize a CZ 455 and started digging into triggers and stocks and optics and reviews. And inevitably that led me to the direction of NRL 22. And I saw a match. Uh, I don't, I don't, I think it was maybe Justin or uh, OCAB, Jacob OCAB. Yeah, I think I saw one of OCAB's videos and uh, that, that sent me down a deep, deep rabbit hole into this sport and it has been nothing but fun ever since that first experience so um we are in we are located in northern colorado and we get some windy cold winters up here but regardless of all that we commit ourselves to going out every month and bearing the wind and the cold to film those course of fire videos for you guys that's awesome. And uh, I think rabbit hole is probably the best descriptor I've ever heard for NRL 22 and what it is. <laughs> so um, how about you, Bevan? Did you start back in 2019 at the same time? Um, I did not. I started in 2020. Uh, he brought us out for the February match where they were doing the competition of which club had the most ladies shooting. So we uh, bared the frigid weather that February and we were hooked and came back and we've kind of been doing it off and on ever since. That's awesome. I, I am so glad that we did that because it got a whole group of ladies around here into it too that are still shooting. But I, I think after this year, we really need to move it to summer month because I know there's another group of ladies that will I agree. Will come out. Yeah. I, uh, I told Justin the first year he when we first met, um, he was kind of just getting into the sport and he, it was January and he went out to shoot a match. And I was like, that's insane. I would, I just don't go outside in the winter. I don't do it and I will never do it. And now I have heated socks and snow bibs and all that fun stuff. So it's too funny. But it, you know, it's, it's the, the spirit of Valentine's day, you know, that's why we do it in February is because we're supposed to get, you know, the loves of our lives out there and get them on the range and put them through the, the, the match. Your lives are going to be more excited about it though, when it's nice weather. <laughs> I think you let's might be on something there. Let's, let's do, do May. May. Yeah, let's do May. May is a nice month for that. I'll, we'll, we'll bring that back to that and I'll see what we can do. Um, so, so you guys, you have how many kids? We have five children. Okay. And how old are they? 15, 14, 11, eight, and five. Wow. He, you just recited that and Bevan was looking at you like <laughs> the test. That was, I kind of want to see if you could remember. <laughs> you, did he pass? Absolutely. Okay. Good job. Good job, Jeremy. Um, so do they shoot too? So two, two of the kids shoot. 
um, we're we're just starting to get um, our son Bennett exposed to it. So number one and number two, um, they are both competing. Um, they go to X matches with us. They go to every local match that we shoot, mm-hmm. um, and they they do so well at this sport. They're they're very naturally inclined. Um, and but that's not to say that they haven't done their training. Um, both of those kids really took to it. Um, and then our third daughter, she doesn't really have really any interest in. I'm not the kind of dad that's going to, you know, force my kid to do something that they don't necessarily want to do just for the sake of doing it. So um, Bennett is a number four and he's starting to show some pretty serious interest. What I'm looking for is some benchmarks in in his behavior where I see that he can pay attention for long periods of time and maintain that focus, because that's what you really need when you go out to shoot a match is you need to be able to maintain that focus. Mm -hmm. So he's starting to exhibit some of those some of those characteristics and um, we got him out this, this last weekend and let him do some practicing. And, uh, I actually put him on the rooftop first and, uh, boy, that support side really messed up his head. Like <laughs> it was so confused at, at how, you know, how to close that right eye and, and how to maintain, you know, looking through the optic and seeing that reticle, uh, on the, on the left eye and, and how to manipulate the bag underneath the stock, uh, using his left hand as a trigger finger. I mean, it really and Bevan's like, maybe, maybe support side's a little too much for just now. You know, maybe we should just keep him strong side. This is, this is his first time actually practicing the stage. Um, mm-hmm. And then number five, uh, number five. She's, she's too young. She's a, that, kid, that kid is a pistol. She's, yeah, she's a little, she's a little too young, but she is a ball fire. So one day she might, she might jump into the sport and blow everybody's socks off. Mm-hmm. We'll see. That's awesome. And you're, your 11 year old then uh does she go with you guys or does she kind of hang back and do her own thing she kind of hangs back i mean she goes with us out to the range we sort of drag her out um but you know if she really is content at home and she doesn't want to you know go with us she'll she'll hang back um but she's always supportive and she at the matches she shows up and she helps with the with the tiny ones mm-hmm. um you know keep them entertained so that bevan can actually focus on shooting and not be having to play mommy shooter yep Yep. I get that. So we did, we did a ladies class last summer in Missouri and it was, um, ladies only, but then the next day we shot the course fire and the guys were allowed obviously for that, for their, their club match. So we had a bunch of mothers and daughters and I, I squatted all of the, uh, daughters with their dads the next day. Um, so the moms <laughs> could focus on shooting on our squad and that was pretty fun. So I think, uh, I definitely, definitely see how, you know, when you have the younger ones that can take away from your focus and your uh, ability to, to get your own shooting in. And I can't imagine, cause I don't have children of my own. I have a hard enough time tra- keeping track of just myself mm-hmm. when it comes to stuff. So how do you guys, um, you know, if your 11 year old does stay home, how do you guys manage when you're, when you've got, so you've got the 15 year old and the 14 year old who come and shoot too. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe, maybe they're super completely independent and don't need any help ever, but my assumption is that you guys probably do some assisting, um, them and, you know, teaching. So how do you guys balance that between, you know, bringing your kid along and having them there, making sure they're successful, making sure they're having a good time, but also being competitive shooters yourselves, make sure that, you know, you keep your head straight too. That's a really good question. So, um, we, we're very much a team and we kind of approach everything as, mm-hmm. as a team. So, um, when, when it's Bevan's turn to, when, when she's on deck and then she's, you know, making mags ready and getting ready to, to shoot a stage, if I have to split off, um, you know, get off glass or whatever, and go, go tend to a unruly child, 
uh, that's what we do. Or if, you know, if, if device vice, vice mm -hmm. versa happens, if, you know, I'm on deck and I'm loading mags and I'm getting ready to shoot a stage, you know, she'll go handle an unruly child. But for the most part, um, we've got this fantastic community up here at NCRGC and everybody mm -hmm. knows our kids. So, and, and they're, they're very much kind of just range rugrats. They, they yeah, run around kind of like a family out there. It very much is like a family mm -hmm. out there when, and that's the, that's kind of the beauty of this community is everywhere you go, you meet great folks and, and this is very friendly towards children. So mm -hmm. when we have some tag alongs, um, nobody seems to mind. And the, the kids are there's there's they've been around ranges since they were so young. So they really understand the safety protocols and, you know, how when you cross the, the barrier into the range, you got to have eyes and ears on. Um, and they abide by those rules for the most part. Of course, there's times they forget. But um, for the most part, the kids are the kids are really good and and everybody loves the kids around the range. So um, when we show up minus a kid, we always get a lot of questions like, hey, where's uh, where's where's Jocelyn at today? <laughs> and, and yeah, she decided to stay back and, you know, watch a cooking show. She she's a. Uh, she loves to bake and, and cook and make brownies and stuff like she's that kid's going to be a famous cake decorator one day. That's awesome. <laughs> That's really cool. Um, so, you know, I think there's a lot of people probably listening who maybe want to see if their kid is interested or wants to, you know, have them try it for the first time. They're not really sure how to approach it. So if you were brand new or when you were brand new, maybe what, what was your approach to, you know, getting past the intimidation factor, I guess I'd say, you know, and you two, obviously getting to share this together is, is pretty cool, but you know, Jeremy, it sounds like you might've started a little bit earlier. Mm -hmm. Um, I just feel like, a, I know a lot of people would be intimidated trying to learn a new thing and have, have one of their kids there trying to learn it at the same time. Um, do you have any advice for them? So, um, I can only speak from my own personal experience and, and, and only elaborate on what I did. Um, but what, what I did was I got my head around it completely before I started trying to incorporate the kids into it because I really wanted to set them up. If, if they decided to do this, I really wanted to set them up for success. I, I didn't want them to, to get out there on a stage and be on the struggle bus. And I know you remember that stage from nationals. Oh, that struggle bus. <laughs> and, and I learned a big lesson from that match um, because day one for that match was really rough. But anyways, I'm, I'm getting off topic here. Um, what one the way I approached it was I had the kids start shooting groups first. Um, I built them an accurate rifle, and then I had them start shooting groups. And shooting groups on paper showed them their own potential. So we we built an accurate rifle. We took them out to the range. We set up a, a paper target at fifty yards, and we base them basically just let them put holes in paper, lots and lots of holes in paper. And once they saw that they could create a one hole group with that rifle, um, it was, it was like magic. They're like, Holy cow, I can, I can really do this. And, and then, then came the steel, um, because we have five kids and we live in Northern Colorado and, and the real estate up here is absolutely insane. Um, I, I don't, and we are, by the way, we're a single income household, so it's just me that makes the money. Um, I went out and built a KYL rack from spare steel. I had around mm -hmm. the shop and, uh, I put them on a KOL rack and I showed them, you guys can clean these KOL racks. And there's something so satisfying about the ring of steel and hearing that little lead projectile smack that steel at long ranges. It's just so, it's so gratifying mentally and physically gratifying. So once they started cleaning the KOL racks and it was like, okay, now let's, now let's try shooting off. And I had built 
I had built a uh, a tank trap. I had built a mock rooftop. I just mm-hmm. you know took stuff and and built different props, and then I started putting the kids on that and showed them that with a little bit of with a little bit of effort and a little bit of training on how to use the reticle and how to use the kestrel, um, you know they could do this. And uh, took them out to that first match in February, and uh, they were they were all all three of them. All three of them were hooked. Actually, I think the girls started at the Rimfire Carnival. The girls did start. So we have a little, uh, we have a little carnival, I guess that we that we it's put kind of like on a family day. It is like a family day at our local range, and uh, there's there's a whole bunch of people that show up to this thing. So and most of it's most of it's kids. Mm-hmm. And um, twice I've worked this I've worked this carnival because I'm one of the range RSOs. So I get I get hooked up to go and sit on a stage and help kids shoot. And uh, they they knocked it out of the park, um, you know, after they had been shooting, you know, tiny little groups on paper and we went to the Rimfire Carnival, um, I, I told them when they were because sh- they we had like pencils. I'm sorry, we had like pencils set up and lollipops set up. And uh, I told the kids, it's like, listen, you guys are shooting super accurate rifles. You're not allowed to shoot anything at 25 yards. You guys have to shoot the pencils at 75. You have to shoot the lollipops. Leave leave the stuff at 25 yards for the other kids who don't have as accurate rifles as you guys do. You guys are only allowed to shoot 75s. But that really did those little those tiny little things really did help build their confidence and show them that they had it in them. And next thing you know, you know the the guys, you know some of the guys that like to camp in base class or uh, you know some of the open class shooters, they'll walk up to the girls and they'll be like, "So you're gonna beat me today?" And the girls will just look at them straight in the face and be like, yeah, I'm probably going to beat you today. <laughs> That's awesome. And I hope they do. Sounds like they probably do. I feel like, I feel like getting an accurate rifle when you first start is, is kind of half the battle. And, you know, mm-hmm. with kids and with ladies, in my opinion, um, you know, building confidence is really important, especially if they they don't have a lot of firearm experience. So if you can get an accurate rifle in front of them that is also fitted for them, Mm-hmm. So it has the proper eye relief. It has the proper length of pull. I feel like that's a really important component to making sure that they have a good time. So I think for people who haven't gotten into the sport and maybe, you know, don't know how to fit a rifle, even for themselves, showing up and getting engaged with this community. Um, I've, I haven't found a single person that I've come across who hasn't been willing to help me or answer my questions in the sport. So I feel like, you know, don't let the fact that Jeremy and Bevan are like, you know, super experts when it comes to, to these things. And, and Jeremy's building his own props. And obviously he's a handy guy and, and also knows how to build accurate rifles. Don't let that stop you. Um, but I do think that brings up that really good point that getting, you know, an accurate rifle in front of them is, is really important too. It, it's so important to building their confidence and, and showing them that they have it in them. Mm-hmm. Um, because once you've been yeah. shown that you have it in you, um, the sky's the limit and the world's your oyster. But until you see that you have it in you, um, there's always a little bit of doubt and building an accurate rifle. Um, it, it's actually funny to say that because Juliet, um, our second daughter, she shoots, she's a left eye dominant shooter. So for the longest time, she was shooting a right handed rifle, left handed. And uh, okay. we worked. So when CZ this last year, when CZ announced that they were making mm-hmm. the, the left handed 457, I got my name on a list. And uh, I, I had completely forgot that I ordered the thing and I actually got a phone call from Shields and they're like, hey, um, your left handed 457 just showed up. And I was like, oh, no, I did go buy that. 
All right. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> yeah. So uh, admitted now. Yeah, yeah. So scramble to you know scramble to put some funds together to run out there and uh, and and pick that rifle up for her, and and luckily, um, shout out to the guys at Manners. Uh, I reached out to the folks at Manners Composite Stocks and asked them um, if they would build a left-handed PRS one stock for this rifle. And they they delivered. Those guys hooked me up. Now it it took about six months for the stock to be completed, but um, the justification was, I called them up and said, "Hey, this girl, you know, we just got this left-handed for this left-handed 457 for her, and her sister has got the benefit of shooting with, you know, a manor stock, and she gets the Arca rail, and she gets the the gray up CNC mini plate, and she gets, you know, she gets all this fancy gear, and poor Juliet shooting a shooting a wood stock, and." Um, they they said yeah we'll we'll take care of you we'll get this built and now so she's she's shooting a tricked out left-handed 457 got the managed prs one awesome. well and now they've got the mold for that rifle so if anyone mm-hmm. else needs one i know where you can get one now those guys are awesome they do those really guys are them. awesome and you know i was actually surprised when i showed up their shop is is actually relatively small for the amount of product that they put into the market yep yep it really they uh they they have a really good system now they were telling me about it at SHOT Show in January and I was really interested. I'm like, I kind of like want eyes on the process from start to finish, but I digress. That's a totally different topic for another day. Yeah. Uh, So, so Bevan, tell us honestly, you know, who do the kids like to take coaching from more? Ooh, I am not a good coach. So they take all their coaching from Jeremy. (laughs) I can homeschool, but I'm not a good coach when it comes to it. And I'm still learning a lot myself. So I think the girls and I are kind of all on the same level and they, they kick my butt half the time anyway, too. So we, we get all our coaching from him. Yep. That's awesome. <laughs> and, uh, and you both are still alive, so it must be going better than it went for, for me when I was learning. <laughs> <laughs> we have our moments, but we work through it. <laughs> yeah. We're, we're actually having, the, uh, yeah, we're uh, actually having ahead. the discussion frequently about um, position building and what works for men and what works for women. And uh, the center of gravity, the discussion about the center of gravity comes up a lot in position building because you know I can build a position and it's it works for me because my mm-hmm. center of gravity is in my chest. And what works for me does not always work for the girls because their center of gravity is totally different. Yeah. So I can build a position and it's rock solid stable and I'm, I clean mm-hmm. a stage and then um, I'm like, that's that's a great way to shoot it. And then the girls build a totally different position. They clean the same stage. And I'm like, all right, well, you know, you, you found a way to adapt to that stage and make it work for you. Yep. It took Justin a while to catch on to that. And, uh, <laughs> but he's caught on to it now after I, I did, a, did a lot of uh, trying to explain. Um, but we were just at the range today if, as another example. He's creating some, you know, we, we shoot on shoots rifles. Um, so obviously we, we don't have the advantage that everybody else does with all the accessories that, um, go on all the other Remington 700 rifles, but he, he and a a friend have been working on a mag, mag block, um, and a barricade block to protect the magazine when you're on, on the bag. And I've, I've not had a problem with mine. So I've been kind of resisting this for a while, but he had me try it today. And I told him, I was like, it, it puts me too far from the barricade because I have to be back another two inches. Well, now my center of gravity and my shorter arms, I can't lean on the barricade as much. So I'm off balance, um, you know, or I have to reach further. I have to stand kind of sideways to reach mm-hmm. properly. And 
it just doesn't work for me like it does for me. He's like, well, maybe you just shouldn't run those extended magazines and then you don't have to worry about that. And I was like, bingo, that's, you know, the trade-off. So it's really interesting how little things, um, we shared a rifle for a long time too, but there's, there's very subtle differences and it can be height related. It could be weight related. It could be flexibility related. Um, but it really is important to figure out what works for you when you're getting into position. For sure. That's, that's true. And that's something that I, I, sometimes I forget, you know, when I'm, when I'm in the process of editing a video, um, you know, I'll fold up into a really like, um, something that, I heard coined when uh, I was at a match with Camden powers was shooters yoga. Um, you know, Camden's got a real small stature and she can, she can fold up in ways and, and my girls both do it as well. Like they can, they can fold themselves onto the ground in a seated, seated position and shoot prone. I'm like, how is that even physically possible? I don't understand how your <laughs> spine can go that way. Um, but I'll find myself doing those. Like matter of fact, we were at the range yesterday and uh, shooting with a couple of buddies and we were doing some practice and uh, my buddy, Jeremy, well, his name's, we, we call him Moa. Um, Moa was asking me how I was going to shoot the barrel and uh, I showed him and then we transitioned to the bucket and I showed him, you know, how I build that position in the bucket. He's like, dude, I just, I cannot do that. Like my, my body, my, my knees hurting, my hips hurting, my ankles hurting, like everything about that position hurts me. And, uh, you know, we work through it though, but it's, it's difficult when from, from a male's perspective to, cause I always have three girls on my team. I, yeah. on my, I've always got three girls in my squad. So when I go to build a position, um, I can find something that really is great for me, for my physiology, but they just simply cannot do that. And yeah. they build a position. And I simply cannot do that. Yeah, but it's been and as a, as a coach, it's been tough to accept that because I'm like, mm -hmm. I can build that position. Like, why does that not work for you? It's super stable. Yep, yep. I I got that a lot. Justin and I argued that one out quite quite often. Um, I'm glad it's not just us then. <laughs> no, it's definitely not just you guys. And and up here, if you you should bring the girls up to come visit because we have a we have a really awesome group of ladies and um you know, we, we do ladies range day for a reason. Uh, and it's just to get reinforcement and we're like, yeah, we were there the other day and this happened and that happened. So we, we've, uh, created a little community up here and we'll actually break away from our significant others. Um, mm -hmm. and we'll shoot matches in different squads, which, you know, we'll, I'll still shoot with Justin. Um, I like shooting with Justin, but having the ability to really test my independence, um, at first, and then have that space to, to build my own confidence without the pressure of, you know, him looking over my shoulder. And I know I can feel that he wants me to be successful, you know, <laughs> just a lot of extra pressure. Right. So. Yeah. And it's, uh, I'm, I'm overtly competitive. I have, I have a very fiercely competitive nature mm -hmm. and, uh, Bevan has a competitive side, but it's not, it's not nearly the kind of ferocity that I have for competition and, and trying to go out there and, and, and crush and dominate. I want to, I want to clean every stage and I can, I can miss one shot and I beat myself up. Like, why did you drop that one shot? You know, you knew what the wind was doing you moron. Why did you drop that one shot? Um, and the girls, the girls, I think they're just out there like living their best life. You know, they, they are so supportive of each other. Um, it's, it's always such a close race between those two. Um, you know, it's always like a one or two point difference. It's very seldom a blowout. Um, now that Juliet's got her, 
you know, got her tricked out CZ mm-hmm. 457 and lefty. I she beat she beat Genevieve on the last match by one impact. So we're we're starting to see, you know, a little bit of competitive nature between those two, but they're they're both their each other's biggest cheerleader when they're out there. That's awesome. And I feel I feel that same way about um the the ladies up here too. I feel like that's a really great dynamic to have. And it's tougher with siblings. Yeah. And I, I had a sister that's 15 months older than me in a lot of the same sports, and I tell you. As soon as the younger sister starts winning things, things get complicated sometimes, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> you'll have to keep us all posted on, on how that goes. Um, but I feel like there, there's a lot of, you know, obviously people want to do well and they, they want to win the ladies class. But even though we have that, when we run a ladies only squad, everyone's cheering each other on. Everyone wants everyone else to be successful too. We want everybody to perform um, at the, their best, which is great. In my experience, we do a lot of beating ourselves up internally. Mm-hmm. Um, absolutely so there's a, there's a lot of that um but but that external pressure that like domination that you're talking about definitely is not the same between uh between at least not in my experience um but justin's got the same thing you know it's it's constantly striving what can i do i could tweak this if i put my knee one inch to the right or the left and for me it's like keep yourself together don't cry when you make a mistake absolutely um, it's on the positive that is where i'm at so we're like just in different areas i, I will say that the, <laughs> the the girls um when they first so first x match ever um there there were some tears and oh and juliet it, had such a rough time she, though she had a rough match so she was shooting a uh we were shooting the um, match out in cameo in grand junction colorado and uh that we experienced all four seasons in one day out at that range. Oh. Yeah. I, I heard about that match. That was a, like a year and a half ago. Was mm, it? Yeah. Years ago almost. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, yeah, it snowed, it rained, it was windy. It was like blazing hot. It was literally all four seasons in one day. It was wild. But uh, when the wind kicked up, if you've ever shot out there, um, if, if you, if you have never shot out there, you owe it to yourself to go shoot a match at that place. It is absolutely breathtaking. Um, the scenery is it's so really, yeah. Um, but when the wind kicked up, um, we were on a stage where you had to run, you had to run and go grab a magazine and then turn around and run back to your shooting position and reload magazine. I think it was three times. And, uh, when she was running, it was kicking up a lot of real soft dust and that dust was getting on her bullets. And then she'd load one into the chamber and it's a Lilja barrel and Lilja's are known for having a really tight chamber. And so she'd seat that bullet, she'd crack that shot off, and then she, the the case would not extract. And that that happened like four times, and it just it really did discourage her. Um, mm-hmm. But something that I have noticed in recent matches is that when they bomb a stage, if they bomb a stage, they they just kind of shake it off and and move on, and they're like, all right, well we got the you know we got the next stage to make up for. Yep. Yeah. I- I was talking to a young gun in um, when I was out in Utah for the Rim Fair Revival uh, in February, and you know he'd had a he had a rough day, um, but he was just like the nicest kid, super helpful. Um, and I had to tell him the story about how at my first big match, I went in the bathroom after the last stage and cried and thought I should probably just quit the sport. Um, so I'm like, but really, it's no, that's no joke. That's a legitimate. Um, a legitimate story. And I tell people that because I, I know that they're going to experience something similar, especially the ladies I talked to. So then Teresa, one of my um, girlfriends was out there shooting with me and she told them the same story after I had walked away. 
she hadn't heard it when I told him that. And so he's like, oh, it really is a true story. <laughs> so um, I feel like, you know, having that experience and then going through the, the self-doubt, um, but rebuilding yourself. And then, you know, now I'm at the point where I know that I'm, you know, I am good enough. <laughs> Most days I, I'm pretty confident in that. And if I have a bad day or if things don't go my way or I get unlucky, I know now at this point that it's because I got unlucky. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I can feel the difference between when I'm fully present and I'm executing properly. Mm -hmm. And when, you know, the wind picks up, it just happens to do it in the two minutes when I'm shooting um, and things just don't go my way, which is, is been huge. And I think the only way to do that is through experience. And those X matches are a phenomenal way to do it. Absolutely. Yeah, I really you, feel like it's. If all you've ever shot since you started NRL 22 is, is monthly matches, um, the monthly matches are great. And you learn, you learn a lot about fundamentals mm -hmm. of position building about, you know, trajectories and figuring out, cause some of the targets get, some of the targets in previous, previous uh, course of fires have been relatively small for the ranges that we're shooting, but the dynamic aspect of not understanding how that stage is going to be until the night before the match and yep. learning how to shoot at some pretty extreme ranges for these 22s at an X match, there is, there is no there is no substitute for that. You will learn so much at an X match. Um, I really, I really regret missing the uh, Rimfire revival. Um, but our local match director, um, he had, he had something going on and he couldn't host the match. So he, I'm, I've been his assistant for like the last three years. So I ended up having to run that match on that day. Um, that was when we shot it. So I had to miss out on. Gotcha. On that was a, that was a good one. Um, and, and, you guys shooting in Colorado are, are kind of used to some of that terrain, but, um, you know, for us Midwesterners that shoot in the flat quite a bit, it was, um, you know, it presents a different element, which is why if you have the opportunity, um, if you, if you go to nationals, nationals is a great place to go to make friends from other States. So you can crash on a couch and go to an X match for cheap. Yeah. That is how I get to a lot of X matches and, or, splitting Airbnb with tons of people. Mm -hmm. um, but any way you can make it work to get out and shoot in different parts of the country, one, it's a ton of fun. And, and this whole community across the board um, is phenomenal. So, you know, anywhere you go, I've, I've had a great time and been welcomed with open arms, but it's also made me such a better shooter to shoot in different conditions um, and in different formats, which brings me to uh, I noticed that you shot a couple of X matches. Someone's on the top 10 of leaderboard. I was like, I wonder if, you know, before we talked here, I was like, I got to see if Jeremy's shot many X matches. You know, I want to ask him about that. And I noticed that you're, uh, you're number 10 right now. So uh, you got a win under your belt and you got a third place. Um, and were they both in Nebraska? Um, <clears throat> so the win, let's see here. Mike, sorry, my mic was not in the right position. So the win is actually kind of a, is a home, sort of a home range. It's down in Rima, Colorado. That's Ben, ben Loman, uh, Ben Loman gun club and, uh, Lewis Chang's match director down there. And that guy puts on a heck of a match. Um, I, I don't honestly know how I won that match. Um, I, I bombed the mover stage. Bev, just for those of you who, who aren't um, able to see this, Bevan just had the, the biggest eye roll I've ever seen. So I had, I had shot, I actually, we squatted with Shane Douglas and uh, Shane Douglas, Shane Douglas from Team Bugara. Sorry. 
my apologies. <laughs> my mic is like not cooperating right now. No worries. All right, let Shane's me start a, that over. Shane's a good egg. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah. So Shane, Shane's a Shane's a great dude, and we we squatted with Shane, and um, Shane Shane's a good cheerleader. Shane was really, you know, he mm-hmm. was very encouraging. Um, I was at that time I was actually running a B14R. Um, and I had just got the Burris XTR Pro topped on top of that rifle. And I think that was the uh I think that was the first, I think that was the debut match for that XTR Pro. And it performed flawlessly. Um, but I had done a lot of work. I had spent a lot of time with the B. So me and that rifle, we have a very jaded past. Um that that rifle was ridiculously accurate but it frustrated me in so many ways um but it, we we made the best of it that rifle and i we made the best of it but uh that when, was like a bad breakup <laughs> <laughs> it it kind it kind of was that that rifle that rifle was so it was so open to you can just feed it anything you could feed that rifle just about anything mm-hmm. and it would shoot it really well um but it had some it had some issues and it was some issues that are are kind of known throughout the community with these b14rs um but it shot really well that day and i had done a lot of work with it um figuring out a, a, a particular lot of center x i think it was like a 4473 and that that it loved that stuff and it shot it so well and when we shot that so we got out there to shoot that match and the day before um we actually went um and we walked the whole firing line and we confirmed every single target on every single stage. We just, and we took notes and made sure that we had, you know, accurate yardages mm-hmm. for every single target. And then we, we went back to the hotel that night and got, you know, went over the course book, got dope for just about every, every target. And then the morning of, it was like super cold and just drizzling rain. Which so is crazy for June. Which uh, is crazy. It yeah, it was miserable. June. Yeah, it was like 40 degrees and raining in June in Colorado. Ooh. Yeah, it was it was absolutely that crap only happened up here in Minnesota. <laughs> yeah, no, it uh, and it was windy, too. So we were we were we had to redo like all of our dope that morning because okay. the, the conditions were so different and barometric pressure had changed dramatically. We had so much more humidity in the air because it was raining. So we redid all of our trajectories and we were just kind of winging it at that point. But First stage went by. Uh, Bevan actually took a spill on that stage. Um, I could not stop shivering. I was so she cold. Was so we cold. were so underdressed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because it's June, so right. You know, Why would you think be nice. in your winter clothes? Yeah, right. And uh, yeah, so that that match went really well. Um, but I I was shooting against some really fierce competition. You know, Jared Howell was there. Um, Tyler Wentland was there. I, I knew I had some really good shooters that were stacking the the roster on that match. And I, I'm happy. I'm happy to be a mid pack shooter. That, that doesn't. But that's not where I want to stay, right? I always, I always, I always set out to. I win. think top ten in the nation right now for the X series puts you above mid pack. I'm just throwing that out there. But yes, that, please. That, that does. <laughs> um, but the, I, when I, I so I bombed, and I'll, I'll never forget saying this to Bevan. So we had uh, we had a mover stage. I think it was like our second to last stage on that day. And I absolutely bought, I think I only got three impacts on that. And I, I turned around with my rifle. I looked at Bevan. I said, well, I'm out of top 10, just like that. I was like, I felt pretty good about this whole day. And then I, I bombed that mover stage. I was like, I'm out of top 10. And, uh, so we, you know, we, we circled up to, to, to do the awards. And, um, I had, I had kind of tallied my score for the day and 
I was I was just sitting there listening like, okay, so I know somebody shot like had to have beat me by 10, you know, 10 or 15 impacts. And uh, next thing, Lewis Cheng calls out my score. And I look over at Bev and I was like, that's my score. And then he announced my name and I was elated. You know, it was, that's the first X match I'd ever won. Um, but then I followed it up, uh, shot the next X match and um, in open. So Cam- Camden Powers actually beat me for second place overall um, by one tenth of a point on that next match. And I lost, I lost by two impacts to Mark Kelly and Mark Kelly is a heck of a shooter. And we're actually going to go shoot the, uh, the high desert precision revival or precision reckoning. Oh, the high, yeah, the high desert precision mm-hmm. reckoning on May 6th. If, uh, if any of you, any of you are, that are listening to this, um, if you want some epic views and an interesting course of fire, that's going to challenge you with natural terrain. This is the match to go shoot. I am not going to lie. I might've looked up, uh, where the closest airport was just to see if I, I could swing one more match this season. <laughs> Probably not going to be able to make it work, but I, it's really tempting, uh, to get out there. So it's, uh, it's lots of fun. I love, I love traveling, um, and shooting in different terrain. It's, it's a ton of fun. Plus, you know, around here, we're the ones that host most of the, uh, X matches. So we don't get to shoot our own, our own. So we have to travel if we want to shoot them. Very true. Um, yeah, we 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 really need to make it up to to shoot one of your night matches. Yeah, so we're not hosting it this year. Oh, just so everyone knows, we're not hosting that one this year. We have a lot going on um, with the world competition, and mm-hmm. then our so we're our May twentieth match, uh, the ultra match is going to be the last one we host um, for a while. So if you guys okay. want, there's free camping at the range. Okay. Let me know if you want to sign up. Okay. I'll see what I got I'll for PPO. Out. I'll see what I got yeah. for CPO bank there. We might be able to swing up to Minnesota. That'd be fun. Nice. It's a, it's a, it's beautiful up there. Um, they've got a lot of like lake homes and stuff like that for Airbnbs and stuff near the range, which is pretty cool. So yeah. Cause it's, when we travel, there's seven of us. Yeah. Oh yeah, exactly. Yep. Yeah. It's yeah. always a, it's, it's always an event. A, yeah. I'm always told it's like a a circus or a parade. No, but we need one. (laughs) Yeah, we've we've, we've been looking at that. That's the way to do it. Yeah, we've been looking at that. So we've been looking at it too, just because the dogs, hard to travel sometimes with them. So usually Justin or I will go and we don't go together for that reason. So once Uh, he's home with the animals. Um, But yeah, okay. So I really do want to talk a little bit about your channel because this is really um, what kind of drew me into you guys. And um, I'm really... I love that so many people are doing this now. And like you said, this is how you got into it. Um, and I noticed that you have almost a thousand subscribers now, which is pretty cool. Cause the last video that I saw of yours, you said something about having like 850 or crossing the 800 threshold or something like that. Mm-hmm. And you were pretty excited about that. And I was like, well, you almost have a thousand. So everyone listening right now, go to YouTube, search for 22 Lima Romeo and hit the subscribe button so we can get them to a thousand subscribers. Thank unless you, you got to it yesterday. No, no, I have, we haven't made it there yet. It's um, like nine fifty three or something. Like yeah, that right now we're we're, we're really yeah. close. But so the, we can make that happen. Let's make that happen, everybody. That that would be great. Um, but you know, and it's interesting that we're we're talking about the subscriber threshold. Um, and this is actually a really good platform to talk about this. So when you when you reach the thousand subscriber mark on YouTube, and you hit four thousand view hours in the last three hundred sixty five days, it gives you the opportunity to monetize on YouTube. But I decided with some 
bit with a, with a business savvy friend of mine that uh, his advice was to not monetize on YouTube. And I, I was kind of taken aback by that. I was like, why, why would I not monetize? You know, this is a way to help kind of offset the cost of, you know, shooting in this sport. Having four and maybe five now competitive shooters. Right, right. Yeah, that's a um, lot. That's a lot of ammo. That's a lot of rifles. A ton yeah. of ammo. It is so much. And I think we tallied it up here recently. Um, oh. In 2022, I think we shot about 40,000 rounds of ammunition. Dang. Right. Right. But Tyler Wintley, Tyler Wintland once told me, he said, uh, there's no magic sauce to this. He said, there's, there's nothing, there's no magic. There's no secret. There's no secret sauce. You just got to get behind your gun and send it. Yeah. And that's, that's where you get the experience. You just got to get behind your gun. You know, if you shoot 40,000 rounds in a year, you're, you're going to get to where shooting is second nature to you. Yep. And he was right. But back to the thousand subscriber mark and not monetizing on YouTube. So there's some things that happen on YouTube when you monetize. You, your channel really does get a, basically a set of handcuffs put on it. And something else, that, uh, something else that it does is your viewers are now forced to watch advertisements. Yep. I don't know about you, but I, I hate commercials. Matter of fact, um, this I'm, I'm going to go off on a little bit of a tangent here. We had Cox Communications when we lived in Kansas. And uh, I got so fed up with commercials on Cox Communications. I actually sat down for two hours and I watched TV and I sat there with a pencil and a piece of paper and I wrote down how long and how many commercials I watched for every block of television. And what it tallied out to was 45% of the time that I was watching television, I was being shown ads. So I called up Cox the next day and I got on customer service and I said, listen, you're either going to give me a 45% discount on my, on my cable bill or I'm canceling and they refused to go 45% off. So I canceled and we have not had, that was 12 years ago. That was a long time ago. We have not had cable television for (laughs) since that day we canceled it. And we never look back. So the advertisements, while I understand companies are just out there, they're trying to you know get their product mm-hmm. in front of people's eyeballs. Um, I never want this community to have to suffer through watching ads or being forced to watch ads to watch how I shoot this course of fire. So I'm not going to monetize. Um, I, I refuse to make you guys watch ads. So if that's any incentive to come back to the channel, you know, month after month is you're never going to have to watch an ad on this channel. Um, that's that was kind of the goal nice. to just give back without taking anything yeah yep i feel like that's um that's huge and and hopefully that still presents you opportunities to help uh get your family where you know the support that you need to continue this sport especially as you get more and more kids involved because I, I i know from experience it's not a cheap sport to get involved in it's um, not but i work hard ruth i work very hard yeah. that's why you yeah. and i share a rifle so. that's, yeah that's why we share a rifle <laughs> Yes, I uh, I completely get um, get where you're coming from with that, and and I had to scrimp and save to get mine because I was just in a bad way post divorce when I first got started. So it's like great time to start a really expensive sport, right? Um, but, How, <laughs> but however, you know. however, to expand on that a little bit, so um, when we were in Kansas, uh, the company that I used to work for out there, um, the owner of that company built race cars, and I- I'm. I'm gifted when it comes to cars. I've, I've got a passion for cars since I was a little, little kid. Um, kind of like I've had a passion for shooting, but the cars thing, I spent some time working as a detail, uh, detail shop manager in a body shop. And 
I, I've got an eye for for hot rods. And this guy kind of just let me go wild in his shop once he trusted that I wasn't going to mess his cars up. So how I sold this to Bevan originally was that she's, she's like, well, isn't this going to be expensive? And I was like, well, it's not going to be as expensive as race cars. <laughs> you know, it, it, it's probably uh, healthier than like a drug habit too. So just throwing that out there for anyone who needs a good excuse, you know, it's a lot you healthier. You'll have no money for drugs. You know. Yes, exactly. You know, it keeps you on the straight and narrow too. Yeah, totally. <laughs> That's awesome. So, so who came up with the name Twenty Two Lima Romeo, and what made you think of it? What was that like? So, so I I came up with the name, and and I run. So I typically run a lot of things by Bevan, and I ask her for her opinion about stuff because sometimes, she gives me, yeah, sometimes she gives me really valuable feedback. Um, I know you guys can't see this um, because you're listening, but I had her come and uh, come down to my my little office here <laughs> and kind of bless off on the way everything looked. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, I, I kid you not. Like she was in the shower. I was like, hey, when you're when you're done in the shower, you're dressed. I need you to come. I need you to come down to my office and just bless off on the way this looks. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, I trust her interior decoration skills. Um, but well, it looks no, great. So she did a good job. Thank you. Thank you. So, um, no, I, I came up with the name and it, and it was, I, d I didn't really have like a, like a direction for the channel. I just knew that I wanted it to stay focused on, on rimfire on 22 long rifle. Um, so when I started into this sport, um, I actually started into NRL 22 with full intention of getting into PRS and center fire shooting. Um, I, I just, I moved to Colorado and I wanted to, I wanted to understand long range shooting. So that way I would be a more successful hunter in the Colorado Rockies because yep. the, the animals out here, when they move, you know, sometimes you're, you're looking at an animal that's 800 yards away. And a lot of people that I've known throughout my life thought 800 yards was nothing or that, or that, that, that was just an insurmountable range. You, you couldn't, you can't hit an animal accurately or ethically at 800 yards. And I was, I started reading, you know, I started watching YouTube videos. And I saw these these hunters that were smacking these elk at 900,000 yards and dropping them one shot. And uh, that fascinated me that they were capable of doing that with these rifles. And really, that was the that was the start of the rabbit hole was seeing seeing these guys get out there with these really well built rifles that were super accurate and dropping an elk, you know, a thousand yards away in a single shot. And maybe there was some video editing magic. I don't know. I'll know, never know the story behind those videos because now that I'm making videos, I know that there's there can be some magic that is created with a camera. But uh, see, to see those shots, well, the the rabbit hole proceeded with how's a what's a good way to learn how to shoot? You know how to shoot accurately. Um, and I, I watched a video where somebody was talking about how um, a 22 long rifle is very equivalent to shooting a 308 at a thousand yards. So if you shoot a 22 LR at 300 yards, it's very equivalent to shooting a 308 at a thousand yards. The trajectories are very similar. So that was just further intrigue. And that, that sent me further down the rabbit hole. So I'm like, okay, so I can actually get out there with 22 LR, build an accurate rifle, and I can teach myself to shoot these small targets. That's gonna make me a lot more successful and give me a lot more range when I'm out in the mountains trying to hunt these big animals. Um, little did I know, Little did I know at that time that this sport was going to eventually incorporate my whole family. It was, I was passionate about it. And I think that passion kind of rubbed off on them. 
And because I was, I was kind of obsessing, I was going, I was practicing a lot, you know, I was, I was working on my position building and I'm, I'm really lucky to be up here in Northern Colorado. We have such a strong and talented group of shooters in this area. And I got very blessed to start shooting with some really great shooters right out the gate. Um, I had a, I, I kind of had a mentor. His name was Justin Topol. Um, Justin saw something when my first match. And, and I don't know what he saw, but he saw something because that dude latched onto me and took me underneath his wing. And he showed me all the stupid mistakes that I was making. He, it, he, he broke down my, my position building. He was like, try this over this. He was like, this is the way you want to put your hand. This is how you want to run your bolt. I mean, the dude really did give me all the tools I needed to be very successful at this sport. And I very much owe where I have, what I've achieved and where I've gone with this to that guy because, and unfortunately he doesn't really shoot a lot. His, his business took off and you know, money over pleasure. So he, he focuses on business and he's making a lot of money and I'm super happy for him. I do miss seeing him at the range every month though. Yep, for sure. It's, it's all a balance. Um, definitely. And, and as we, we chatted a little bit when, uh, we first got logged in here, when you're, a particular type of personality that has a tendency to get, well, I'm just going to use the word obsessive, but in a positive way, um, it's hard sometimes not to dive in full force and, um, you know, find that equilibrium, if you will, uh, between business and pleasure and, and all that fun stuff. And I've been leaning way more into this stuff, uh, than, than business lately. So, and Justin did a financial freedom and, and retired at the age of 40. So, I don't have motivation there either. Oh, good on him though. Wow. Good on him <laughs> though. Yeah, it's it's awesome. I'm super jealous now. So now I'm like, well, I could retire at some point here. Maybe I could retire at 40. Uh, so, you know, there's there's uh, all that good stuff too. But it's just, there's so much to this sport and so many different layers to it and avenues you can take and, you know, ways to get involved for people who have any type of interest. So if you're a social person, it's the perfect sport for you because you can really engage with a lot of different people. If you're a science person, it's perfect for you because there's all kinds of aspects to this that are, you know, highly scientific, um, you know, little, little things that you can geek out on. You know, you, if you're, uh, if you're into race cars, you can build all kinds of accessories for your guns and come up with, you know, what the, the best accessories are, um, and things like that. So I, there's just a lot of different avenues you can take. Oh, with this sport, which makes it so much fun. The community though, the community of this, of this, this, this community, NRL 22, it is like nothing I've ever been involved with. Um, when we when I showed up to the first match, I think it was April of 2020, maybe it was 2019. I can't remember. Um, the Justin spotted me, uh, another shooter, uh, a buddy of mine, Zach Stam. Um, those guys were so inviting. They were so inviting. Um, they, they were like, Hey, you know, are you, are you here to shoot? And I, I said, no, you know, my rifle was actually at the gunsmith getting, getting bedded. Um, so I said, no, I'm, I'm just showing up to check it out. But everybody was so friendly and everybody was so, so welcoming. Um, I knew that from just that one experience, I knew that this was something I wanted to stay involved with, um, because I wanted to, I wanted to be able to welcome other new shooters into this. I wanted to, I wanted to eventually be the guy that was like, Hey, you're new here. Nice to see you. What, uh, 
why don't you why don't you come shoot this why don't you come shoot this fancy rifle let's let's you know let me show let me show you what you're capable of um and part of that was part of that was why i started the youtube channel was because i really wanted to give i wanted to find a way to give back to this community and you know being a dad and a husband um and a professional you know i work a 50-hour work week every week and um and then I got to I got to be a dad and I got to be a husband. Um, I don't have an opportunity to travel, you know, and shoot dozens of matches. But this was something that we were already out at the range practicing. We were already out there, you know, every other weekend, you know, practicing for the matches. And uh, a bit of advice that I was given early on in my shooting career was to film yourself because you can pick up you know, silly things that you're doing that you don't realize you're doing that you're while you're on the clock, you know, you use that, that timer goes beep. And sometimes all logical thoughts just disappear <laughs> from your brain. You know, as soon as I you can relate so heavily to that. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, so I was encouraged to, to film myself and it would help me improve. And, um, I was, I, I remember sitting at the computer and I was reviewing footage from a practice session and I was like, why don't I just like, I mean, I shot every stage and I filmed every stage. Why not just put this together and maybe I can make a YouTube channel out of this. Maybe I can help other people, you know, so they can help improve their own shooting disciplines. And, uh, you know, tooling around on YouTube, I saw at, at the time when I started this channel, um, there was only one guy doing it. There was only one guy, Jonathan O'Cab. And uh, O'Cab's video, O'Cab is thorough. He's very thorough. And he approached everything from a match director standpoint. And no matter how much I searched, you know, I found gear reviews and I found rifle reviews and I found optic reviews, but I didn't see anything just purely from the shooter's perspective. Now I, I do play part-time match director. I'm, I'm always the guy, you know, second dude through the gate. I'm always setting up, tearing down. I know where everything goes in the Connex. Um, I check, I check folks in, I verify all the ranges. I, I do try as much as I can to take the load off of our local MD, which is Brian Fessler. Um, which everybody else listen up because as an MD myself, I can tell you how incredibly helpful and valuable people like you are. <laughs> Thank you. I, I just, that's, that's how I, that's how I feel like I'm giving back to the guy who's setting all this up. You know, mm -hmm. he, he's going out of his way. He's not getting paid to do this. He's just, he's showing up for his passion. And something I can do is I can just show up early set up, bring the guy coffee, help tear everything down, you know, set up zeroing targets, just, just do, do all the, the grunt work. So he could focus on the administrative stuff, you know, getting people checked in, making sure everybody paid, making sure practice score is set up. Um, when, when I was, I, I, I love watching O'Cab's videos, but O'Cab's videos were, were very long. And I found what I was doing when I was watching his videos was I was fast forwarding through a lot of the content that he was creating just so I could get to the meat and potatoes, which was how he was going to shoot the stages. Um, and I, I wanted, when I started the channel, I knew that I didn't want to make this super long form content. I didn't want my videos to be, you know, 20 minutes or half an hour because I, I knew that if there was, if there, if I was on YouTube, banging through that fast forward button just to get to the meat and potatoes of the video, which was how he was planning on shooting the course of fire or how he was going to tackle a specific stage. I knew if I was doing that, that other people were going to be doing that as well. So, yes. um, I made the decision that I was going to keep my content short form. I didn't want it to really exceed that 15 minute mark because 
I should be able to get through the entire course of fire, you know, five, two minute stages, a little bit of commentary in between, you know, just discussing how the stage is going to run. Um, I wanted to make that video short so that I really wasn't wasting people's time and they weren't having to fast forward through content just to get yeah, to the, I will say, video. you know, watching your videos, I have the attention span for it. And I'm one of those people that's constantly on the fast forward. So I do have an appreciation for the fact that you do a really concise job of breaking down the stage and it's not a lot of fluff content, not a lot of, um, you know, adding different thought processes. Like you do a really good job of explaining it. Um, but you do it in a way that's, that's not taking away from the content. I guess. Yeah. Be Bevan was actually asking me the other day. She's like, does it, do you ever feel like this gets repetitive? And I said, yeah, yeah, it does. You know, I can only shoot a tank trap so many times and explain it so many ways. Right. But I have to keep in mind that every single video I create, there might be a new shooter that's just starting out in the sport that has just discovered my channel and just discovered their own passion for this sport. And this might be the first video they watch. So yeah, I may have said that this is the way I shoot the tank trap, uh, you know, a dozen times before this, but that guy may, that guy or gal may have never heard me say that before. So yeah. I have to kind of explain it. Like I'm explaining it to a new person, every single video I make because position building is the, is really the key to doing well in this sport is learning um, how to build those positions and how to get yourself stable. And you, you're taught as a five-year-old and I, and I really do kind of throw it back to when you're, when you're first learning how to shoot and you're out there with grandpa or dad, right. And they're putting you behind a 30 out six and they know this gun is fixing to rock your world. And so they tell you, you, you need you to, put, you, they put you as a five-year, wait, they put you as a five-year-old behind a 30 out six. So, so, sorry. so we're, we're actually, we're going to scroll off here for a second. Um, <laughs> I, I've, I've been exposed to shooting. I was exposed to shooting at the age of five. Um, my grandfather was a competitive shooter in Okinawa, Japan, uh, during the Korean war. He started the first, uh, competitive shooting league in Okinawa when he was stationed there in the air force. Um, he exposed to me and my little brother to shooting very, very young. And we shot, you know, BB guns and pellet guns and 22s, um, four tens, but yes, um, at a very young age, I shot a centerfire rifle and it rocked me. And what, what he taught me was that when I'm, when I'm going, when I'm a little guy and I've got to absorb a lot of recoil that I need to put my, my strong foot back. And that becomes what you remember when you shoot a gun, you put your strong foot back and you put your weak foot forward and you get ready to absorb that recoil and try not to fall on your butt. And so often I've seen people, new shooters show up and the, the first thing they do when they go to build that position, and I'm guilty of it myself before I had somebody call me out on it. The first thing they do is they splay their legs out front to back. They put that right foot back and that left foot forward. And that's how they lower their hips to get a position built on the tank trap. And the unfortunate reality of that is that's not the best way to shoot a tank trap. The best way to shoot a tank trap is to bend at the hips, splay your legs out left to right, square up on your rifle, square up on your target, and you know reach up and, and make contact with the with the barricade with your support hand. And all of a sudden, you turn into a tripod, and now you're rock solid, steady on that barricade. But the first thing that you're you're taught as a five year old or as an eight year old when you're first shooting that that first big gun is that you need to be able to absorb the recoil, and you see so many people approach barricades that way, or, you know, the other one is, uh, is the kneeling position. 
they drop that right knee to the ground, they leave their left knee up, and then that elbow is just kind of swinging. It's not anchored to anything. And it's something that and I love seeing, I love seeing new people come up to a stage and approach it that way. I let them shoot it. I let them shoot it. And then I'd be like, hey, so let's talk about the position you just built. Um, I'm going to introduce you to a principle. This is called reversing your kneel. And I have them switch their knees up and put that right knee up and then anchor the elbow to their right knee. And then I have them build that, that position and look through their optic. And they're like, oh, my God, that's so much more stable. Like your, your world just opened a little bit. Like now oh. you're going to get those impacts. This is just another amazing example. So I feel like I'm listening to Justin right now with just explaining <laughs> how you're explaining that to somebody. And, and just for just for like variety and Bevan, maybe you can fill my shoes um, with the new shooters because, or not, not all the new shooters, but certain people, right? They hear things different ways. Here's how I tell people that exact same thing. It's like everything that you know and learned as a child about, you know, sports and athletics forget it, the sport, you do the opposite. So <laughs> your knees to be ready. Absolutely not. Do not bend your knees, Put this, this knee up so that, you know, you're opposite of your strong arm. No, same knee goes up as your strong side. So I'm like, just ignore all those things. And so <laughs> it, I'm just sitting over here giggling, like, yep, I had the exact <laughs> same conversation in different words. Um, but it's, it's so fun. Uh, and it, that's why it's so great having um, different people in the community. Cause you know, there there's people I run into and I'm like, Justin, come here, explain this to them because they're going to get it better from you than they will from me. Um, and vice versa. <laughs> but when I, when I approach, you know, when I approach a video, I just try to keep that in my mind that every, every time I make a video, it could be the first time that somebody's watched a video like this. And if, if I can, if I can help a new shooter score one more impact at a, at a course of fire, then I feel like I've done something positive for that one shooter. And if I can multiply that by, you know, some of my videos have gotten like 3000 views. If I can help 3000 shooters score one more impact, then I've done something positive for the community. And that's, that's what really drives me to continue, you know, spending four, you know, 30 hours editing a video every month is yeah. I'm, I'm really just trying to do this to help to help the community and help new shooters get into the sport and feel confident and comfortable getting out there building positions because I don't know, I don't, not everybody learns the same way I do, but I'm a very visual learner. I can, I can observe somebody do something one time and it's committed to memory forever. So I know there's a lot of visual learners in this sport and if they can watch me build that position and, and I've heard this from people who, who tune into the channel. Um, and so I think I heard, uh, one of my, one of my buddies at the range, he was telling his son, he was like, um, I watch his videos like six times because I watch how he builds these positions over and over and over again. And I commit it to my memory. Yep. Well, the other nice thing is there's a lot of people who want to get into the sport and maybe they're intimidated. And yeah. those videos really showcase what you can expect pretty close when you get to the range. And, and I love that you have the through the scope camera too, because that gives people an idea of what they're going to see downrange, and then and then also getting that body position and, and a preview of what the props look like. Um, so it's it's one thing to read it, but to see someone do it, that really is where you can sometimes connect the dots between yeah, I can do this sport too, and right. that's really the important thing is to get people to show up because I am a firm believer that anybody can participate in this sport. It's it's a um, phenomenal way to get out of the house and and get into one of the best communities I've ever experienced. It is a great way to get out of the house, 
but it is so because it is technical it really does help keep your mind sharp it really does help keep your mind sharp it helps it helps you understand so much more that that shooting is so intricate and it can become such a second nature task where you don't like when i when i go to shoot a stage often i don't i'm not even like i don't visualize right i, I don't go up to that stage and i may maybe i do a little bit maybe i go up to a stage and i kind of visualize how i'm going to run okay, through well, it well but... you're gonna have to tell me how that works for you because i'm definitely like okay visualize the <laughs> yeah i mean i kind of know how i'm going to build a position but the with so our range is very Oh, the wind at our range. So <laughs> if you've ever shot out here at NCRGC, we shoot in a, we shoot in a bowl, we shoot in a Canyon and uh, we're shooting at a three degree up incline and we get these, these wild winds. So it's right at the Northern edge of Colorado or yeah, Northern edge of Colorado, like right. There's a split in the mountains between Northern Colorado and Southern Wyoming. And that range exists right there at that split. So we've get, we get these wild winds and I'll give you an example of this. I was 25 miles an hour on the Kestrel, 25 miles an hour coming from like 430. Okay. I'm shooting, I'm shooting 200 yards, 25 mile an hour wind coming at 430. Kestrel's telling me I need to hold like 2.7 mils to the right. Right. So I'm like, cool. I, and I, and I've, I've gotten to the point in, in this sport where when my Kestrel tells me to do something, I do it. I don't question the Kestrel because I've done so much work to true it up and make sure that this thing's giving me good information. So the Kestrel saying 2.7 mils, right? I'm like 10, four Kestrel. I got you 2.7, 2.7 mils, right? I sent, I told the reticle off the right edge, you know, 2.7 mils. I'm shooting at a four inch target at 200 yards, which is, that's not a generous target technically at that range, especially in that kind of wind, but that's how you get good. You shoot small targets, long ranges. So I hold 2.7 mils, right? I send one, the bullet impacts 2.7 mils right. Hmm. Because yep. the wind comes through the range, 430, loops around the side, and comes back from left to right at 25 miles an hour. So it was literally keeping my trajectory true at 200 yards. Wildest thing. And one, one match we were shooting, we had a real light dusting of snow, you know, that real powdery stuff. It's real fine. Not that heavy snowfall, but just that real, it blows all over the place. Yep. Well, we got a visualization of what the rip of the wind does on this range. It swirls. We saw these little snow tornadoes kicking up because all it was picking up all this snow. So at 75 yards, there's a, there's a strange phenomenon that happens on this range where we're out there shooting and like what the wind is doing at 50 or at a hundred is totally different from what it's doing at 75. And it's like a, it's like a strange twilight zone that exists at 75 yards in this range. And Bevan and I, we, we just assume that if we have a target at 75 yards and it's windy that day, we're probably just going to miss that target. We'll connect on everything else, but this one's just going to, it's a black hole. It's gone. We're just going to assume that's a loss. Um, but seeing the, those tornadoes, that swirling happen right there at that 75 yard range, um, really opened my eyes to what is, what is happening out there. Now, when I've gone and shot at matches in like Nebraska or out at Cameo, where we get these, or, or Southern Colorado out in, uh, out in Rama, we get these real consistent straight line winds where, and if it's snowing and I, and I, if you guys have never shot in the snow, if you guys have never shot in the snow, that is such a cool experience because you've got like 10 million little wind flags coming down all at the same time. And you're peering right through them and it's telling you exactly what the wind is doing. 
um, it's such a cool experience to see that, like to be looking through your optic and looking at that target and seeing like the, the snowflakes in the background kind of obscured and the snowflakes in the foreground kind of obscured, but everything on that target is like crystal clear. And you're watching the, the snowflakes come down right in front of the target. It really does give you a good indication of what the wind is doing right there at that target. That's super fun. That's really cool. Well, thank you guys so much um, for being on and sharing I think, you know, what you're doing with your channel is really awesome. Um, are you guys okay to stick around and help me answer a couple of listener questions? Sure. That's fine. Yeah. Awesome. Cool. So I'll ask, uh, the first question. Um, and then I'd, I'd be interested in actually both of your answers on this one. Okay. So my, my first listener, uh, Teresa Jurish, uh, I know people will be shocked that Teresa submitted another question, but if you guys are sick of hearing her name, that means you need to email me with your questions. So I can read those on the air. So um, the, the question she had is, what was the skill you worked on that made a huge difference in your shooting? Oh, that's a really good question. So, so. I know, I think where she's getting this from is because I talk about follow through so much because I struggled with it for the first year and a half that I was shooting. That and is as soon as I started getting it down, I was hitting targets I had no business hitting or I had no idea I could hit. So I think that would be mine. So when, when I got into the sport, I, like I said earlier, I had Justin Topol that he really did hammer on me. Like he was, he was a great coach, but he was not nice to me. He was, <laughs> he let, he let me know when I screwed up and uh, follow through is something that he beat, he beat into me really quick. But um, for, for me, it was truing my trajectories. It was, it was making sure that my, my information that I was being relayed by my, by my equipment was true and that I could trust it. So I did a lot of work understanding ballistic coefficient, understanding how important velocities are, um, understanding how important getting a proper wind reading is so that when my equipment told me that I needed to hold 2.7 mils left, that I could trust it and the bullet was going to go where I was expecting it to go. Um, Bevan, Bevan and I've had a lot of discussions about follow through, mm -hmm. but I'll let her elaborate. Yeah, that's follow through. That is still something I struggle with. I I remember it when we were practicing, but when I'm on the clock, it, it's the first thing that goes right out the window. So like you said, that's one of the things that I've got to just always focus on. Um, but for me, I think it's uh, positivity, just staying positive and like you have that bad stage and learning to shake it off and just get back in the game and keep going forward or when we have the kids out there, like I'll have to run to the car or run to the picnic area and deal with them. And to be able to shake that off and get back in the game again after that, that's the hardest part for me. So overcoming that and just mental focus, that would be my biggest deal. That's huge. Uh, I think, so one thing that helped me too, that I share with newer shooters is, you know, for brand, brand new people, I'm like, don't worry about the time. Don't ask for time. Tell people not to give you time so that you can focus on just one thing at a time. Cause yes. there's a lot going on in the sport. But once you get past that phase, the next phase, at least for me was, um, adding one skill at a time and mastering it. Mm -hmm. So I would tell myself, I don't care if I time out on every stage. I don't care if I get, um, you know, 50% of the impacts. And at this point I was, I was finishing pretty decent at most club matches, but I was like, I'm not worried about where I finished, not worried about how many impacts I get. The only thing I'm worried about all day is making sure I follow through. If I follow through on every single shot all day long, 
then I'm proud of myself. I'm happy. And I won. And having that frame of mind helped me. And it doesn't take as long as you'd think. So I'd, I'd focus on that. Um, if I was successful, I'd do it one more match. And if I was successful at that one, okay, now I'm going to add a different skill because I've, I've got that down. I've done it twice, you know, um, mm -hmm. or I'd work on being more efficient and finishing, you know, on time or, or picking up kind of some of the things um, that I left off. But you'd be surprised how quickly you can really build and master some of these skills. When I, when I worked on natural point of aim, that one took me, I think, four different matches for me to really feel like, okay, now I'm executing properly like I should be. So instead of taking that shot because I'm in position and close enough, it's nope, stop, stop what you're doing, readjust, move that extra inch so you're not twisting your body and, and those types of things. Um, just, you know, being willing to sacrifice a couple points towards the end of the stage to make sure that I'm executing the way that I need to, to get those future impacts um, was something that I did. So try that out in the next match and let me know how it goes. That's great advice. Shooters, that is really good advice. Um, and when I said something I said in, uh, in a previous video was uh, a very wise shooter named Ruth Susie once told me, you can't <laughs> miss fast enough to win a match. <laughs> that is so true. And it, it is true. It still is today. Some, some days I need people to repeat those things back to me just to keep me honest. But, uh, <laughs> Ignore that time, guys. Ignore that clock. It does not matter. What matters is getting the bullets to the steel. That's what matters. Yeah. Yeah. If you start cleaning every stage, now you can start where if you start, I'm sorry, if you start making every single impact, then you can start worrying about time. Mm -hmm. And if you start missing, you have to forget about it again. Mm -hmm. So it's really about building to that. And really you get rewarded for making good shots when you hit the steel. Um, you, you really just focus on those things. If you get two shots off in two minutes, that's fine. Just focus on those things. And then next time you'll get three shots off next time you'll get four shots off incremental improvements, baby steps. Yep. Absolutely. Um, so another kind of follow-up similar is what skill surprised you that made a difference in your shooting? What skill surprised me that made a difference in my shooting? I think this is more like, you know, maybe, maybe for you, Jeremy, it, it was follow through because you had someone else telling you, you need to work on this. And mm -hmm. then once you got it, yeah, that, that's where I was going to go was that that's what made the biggest difference in my in my overall group sizes was my follow through. You know, it's it's one thing to pull the trigger. It's another thing to watch that bullet through the air and watch it go to the paper or watch it go to the steel. Mm -hmm. um, and if you slap the trigger, you're not seeing that happen. If you follow through, a lot of times if you've got good glass, you are watching that bullet throughout its entire flight from the time it leaves your muzzle to the time it's, it hits the target or misses the target. And that is a skill. That is, that is such a skill that once you really get yourself dialed in, you can, and it, it's funny because Bevan, Bevan took her, it took her about, I don't know, eight months before I asked, before I asked her, I said, where'd that go? Where'd that shot go? Mm -hmm. She's like, it just, it dropped off the right edge. It's like, you're seeing the bullet. She's like, I am seeing the bullet. I was like, yeah. That's huge. I'm like, I'm clapping over here. Justin asked me every single shot I ever made out of his gun. Where'd the bullet go? Where'd the bullet go? I was like, I don't know. Where that was. <laughs> so frustrating. <laughs> I, I still know. have those moments where I don't see it, but we're getting, we're getting I, there. I, yeah. Well, and, and really you have to have the right conditions and you have to have the right glass, right? Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Glass to, is to huge. Yeah. You're not going to get it every time, but um, when you do, it's going to, it gives you such a competitive edge. So, you know, maximizing your potential for seeing it by following through, by mm -hmm. focusing on it, by pausing when you pull the trigger, mm -hmm. just freeze, just freeze. 
just stop. think about what just happened. Yep. yep. If you saw it, great. If you didn't, okay, now you can lift the bolts. Yeah. And there are guys, there are some match directors out there that like to really play tricks on shooters at X matches where they like to put skyline targets, targets where you get no feedback. If you miss, you don't get to see where that bullet went unless you physically saw the bullet in flight. You have no idea where that bullet Mm -hmm. went. Um, Something else that I'd like to expand on this a little bit. Um, Something else that really helped me early on was watching how the target reacted to the impact. Yeah. Because the target will give you a lot of information about how that bullet connected it to it. So, you know, if you're watching that gong out there, you know, at 100 yards, you're shooting at a two-inch gong at 100 yards, and you see that, you, you send it, you're, you don't see the bullet in flight, but you see the gong jump to the left. Mm-hmm. You know you just impacted that target on the right edge. So it's probably worth your time to correct for windage a little bit at that point. Because when you square punch the target, when you center punch it, that target goes straight back. It just, it almost, it, it moves, but it just, it fly, flies straight back against the, the, the target stand. If, if it spins, that's an edge hit on the bottom. Like there's, the, the target can give you so much feedback about how your bullets are impacting the target. So learning how to watch what the target is doing will give you a lot of feedback about where your bullet placement is and how you might need to correct for wind. Yeah, absolutely. What about you, Bevan? Anything that, uh, that all of a sudden clicked and you were like, wow. Oh, for me, I think I'd have to say spinners. Spinners have been my nemesis. <laughs> we burned an entire ah. brick. We burned an entire brick of ammunition <laughs> teaching this lady how to shoot spinners. <laughs> I just, I could not get the yep. timing. So yeah, spinners are. You're not alone, by the way. Oh my goodness! That, and yeah. it's like a mental thing too. It's a mental block at that point. Yes. You're just like, ah, oh, spinner can't do it, and you can oh. do it. It's in your head. Oh man. I, oh, I, yeah, I went through all of the emotions, like anger, crying, everything, everything. Yeah, and, and then we finally got it. <laughs> and and I went from like telling her when to shoot to not telling her when to shoot to going back to telling her when to shoot, like because I'm on I'm on glass sitting right over the top of her. I'm like, send it send it, send it. And eventually it clicked, you know, eventually it clicked and she made a rotation. She was so, I was so proud of her and she was so proud of herself. But then I was like, all right, we're just going to continue hammering on the spinner. And we're just do it again. Yep, yep. Do it again. Reinforce it. Yep. And now change the distance and do it again because yeah. the timing's different for the different distance, but that's, that's absolutely uh, the perfect way to do it for, for me. Uh, when I have a new shooter with a spinner, I get them on glass. The more you watch someone else shoot it, the easier it will be for you because you, as long as you, you know, catch someone who's able to do it, mm-hmm. um, if you get enough people that are able to do it and you watch it enough, you can really get that timing down mentally. Um, but everyone's reaction time is a little bit different. So, you know, I, I'm, I tend to be a little bit careful uh, when I'm telling people when to send it for a spinner um, because it might take them an extra half second or, or they might be super quick on it. Uh, depending right. on them. So, you know, right. it's not the easiest thing to teach someone how to do. Um, it's something you kind of got to feel out for yourself at some point. And that's why we went through a whole brick. <laughs> well, luckily it's not something you have to deal with on the monthly matches, but those X matches, you can guarantee there's going to be one in there. There's always going to be a spinner at an X match. And yeah, it's such a gratifying target, though. Yeah. Oh yeah, it is. It's so much fun because it, it's dynamic. I love the dynamic target. Yeah. Um, I hate if, them at the same time. If you guys go shoot uh, a match by the infamous Paul Dolan, um, 
Paul Dalton loves speed stages. He really loves to throw speed at you and like oh, yeah. round counts. Um, went out and shot his match in Utah. I heard a rumor there were six spinners. Yeah. Yeah, there was there was like five or six spinners, and and dude, it was so it was so wild, it was so wild, and because you had like you had to spin one, and then you had to spin the next, and then I don't remember exactly how that how that course fired, but there was just there was an obscene amount of spinners, and uh, I, I was actually squatted with Boyd Linder on that one, and he he absolutely burned it down. It was it's so cool to watch that guy shoot because it's so natural for him. Yeah, it's fun. He he does a lot of shooting, man. He shoots uh, all the time. It's pretty cool. Um, are you guys going to make it to the, the burner brick or brick burner match next month or this month? It's this month already. So I, I don't think so. Um, we we kind of have to we have to pick and choose our our matches. Um, when we were having the cameo match, that was an easy one to make. Um, mm-hmm. So pretty much every year. Now, a, a venue that that I, so my first sex match was actually in Lake George, Colorado. And uh, that was the first time I, I got to experience um, what like utter defeat felt like um, because uh, I mean, just I, I so wow, this, this actually takes me back. So I watched a guy who was on our squad and he was shooting extremely well, like uh, watching this guy was was great. It was such a good learning opportunity for me. We were on our second stage for the day. We were on a tank trap and uh, and he, he had his rifle in the tank trap. He was on target and his rifle slipped off the tip of the tank trap and he already had his, his hand in position and match director was standing right behind, you know, where this is going. Don't you, don't you Ruth, you know where this is going. Yep, sure do. He, he sent one 15 yards in front of the, in front of the tank trap and his day was over. Um, that was, that was such a, that was such a, a wake up call that, you know, we're, we're actually out here, we're playing with loaded firearms and we're, we're, in kind of a hustle working our way through stages and we're building positions and there's so much going on and there's so much happening inside of our brain and something as simple as your rifle sliding off of your bag mm-hmm. while it's mounted on a, on a tank trap can end your day. Um, but yeah. so shooting X matches for us, because we have, you know, we usually have to take the whole family in tow or we have to, we don't, so living in Colorado, we only have one family member here and she doesn't have any kids. So putting, you know, going from zero kids, having one dog to having to watch three kids, it it can be a little overwhelming. (laughs) So we can't, we can't just throw three kids at her for, you know, three or four days and be like, yeah, we're going to go shoot a couple matches. Uh, we'll see, we'll see you. Good luck. So we, we have to be really strategic on our, mm-hmm. on our X matches. Um, and there's a lot of planning that goes, that goes into getting out there to shoot one. Um, usually we try to leave the three little ones with, with their aunt so that we can go, you know, take the two big girls and get them exposed to some long range shooting. Um, so we won't make that one, but with Mark Kelly and Scotty Friedline hosting the match down in New Mexico, uh, both Bevan and I are from New Mexico originally. So we, with it being Cinco de Mayo, um, on Friday oh, I didn't even think about and that. <laughs> yeah, we get to go to New Mexico and have some real New Mexican food. Cause I mean, I love Colorado. Don't get me wrong, but their Mexican food up here sucks, especially when you <laughs> grew up eating like abuelas enchiladas covered in, you know, chili rojo. It's, it's, it just is not the same. And their green chili up here sucks too. New Mexico has got the best green chili in the world. I'm just, I'm saying it for the record. New Mexico has the best green chili in the United States, <laughs> but we're going to go down there. Um, and 
Mark, Mark is soft-spoken. He doesn't, he's not a man of many words, but the dude is a very, very talented shooter. And I'm really curious to see what he has to throw at us. Yeah, that should be exciting. See, you're, you're trying to talk me into it. I'm already going to Utah at the end of the month. And then I'm like, maybe I could do a turnaround and fly to New Mexico. Cause I have a scratch map of the U S and I scratch off the States that I've shot in and I haven't shot in New Mexico yet. Mm, I mean, it would just be the next weekend, right? I know. Right. Maybe I should just stay out there. I know. I'm going to stay with Lynn Bigelow in Utah. So I bet I could talk him into a road trip. I'll see what I can do. (laughs) Yeah. If if you guys have not signed up yet, there's only, I think six, six spots left on that match. And we're still, you know, we're less than a month out. Oh, we're we're a month out. Yep. Just over a month. All right. Well, between the 8 million other things I'm doing right now, I'm gonna have to give it some serious thought, but it <laughs> at is least, at least take it under consideration. I will for sure. Um, so there's uh, one other question from JT Hall. Okay. Uh, he wants to know, and this is interesting because he actually mentioned something about this earlier. Um, and, and because of the situation you mentioned, this is why I, I do it the way that I do it. Um, so the question is, should dope cards be filled out with the exception of win brackets before the match? So once the shooter gets to the stage, they're fully prepared. And I personally never fill out dope cards the night before, or even the morning of, mm-hmm. I don't fill out my actual dope card until I get to the stage because of exactly what you described on that day in June, when it was 40 degrees and raining, mm-hmm. you had to basically re- reset your um, dope. So sometimes in the matchbook, I will write down the, the dopes next to the distances mm-hmm. um, before I get to the stage. I'll do that in the morning, for example, or, or the night before. Um, but I don't ever put anything on a card until I get to the stage. Cause half the time, I don't know exactly how I'm going to approach it anyway, until we get there. And I know the full story and I am someone who can't commit myself to something mentally and then not follow that train of thought. So if I overcommit before I know all the information now I'm in trouble, but what, what about you guys? Yeah, I've learned my lesson about filling out my dope cards tonight before, um, or just filling out my matchbook tonight before. Um, you can go out to a, to a range and check everything out. Now, if you're expecting similar conditions the next day, um, I don't see why not. But if if conditions can change, you'd be surprised at how much temperature can affect your bullet trajectories. Um, you you'd be surprised to see how elevation can mm-hmm. affect your bullet trajectories. So, filling out your your dope card at the stage is best mm-hmm. in my opinion it, it's that's when you should do it you should get to the stage now if you're shooting an x match and you have the opportunity to go out um to the range the day before the match and just kind of scope everything out now there are some circumstances where there is a there's a low look stage where you're you're not allowed to see the targets you're not allowed to range them you're just gonna have to trust the match director you know is giving you good information um and those are really cool stages to, to, to shoot because it's all, it's all a mental game at that point. You have to, you know, find and engage, you know, in a specific order, whatever the case may be. But the day of the morning of at that stage, that's when you should be figuring out what your dopes are going to be. Now, if you can go out ahead of time and get your ranges, do that mm-hmm. because always check your ranges. Yourself. Always, yeah. Always check your ranges yourself because you know, everything is true off of your equipment and your equipment could be, could get you a different range than the match director's equipment. And, and I've experienced that lots of times where I've gone out the day before 
and range to target. And I got a 10 yard difference and 10 yards makes a big difference in this sport. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think, um, you know, if, at least if you're going to do it in advance, cause I know some people where it's just kind of therapeutic, they feel like they're more prepared. So therefore they're calmer and that's fine. That's legitimate. Um, so if you do that, just make sure that you're, you're checking and updating your weather on your Kestrel or your ballistics mm-hmm. app throughout the day too. Cause I have seen a shift in my dope, um, throughout the day as the temperature changes too. So just make sure that you're updating it and you're double checking it. If you really want to do it in advance. That's true because two, two tens can be a mess. And that's how much I've seen, that's how much I've seen my dope shift in a day Mm -hmm. between, you know, zeroing my rifle and the end of the day and with 70 degrees, um, I saw a two tenths shift in my trajectories. Yep, for sure. So, well, I really want to thank you guys for taking the time. I know you guys are very busy, five kids. I can't even imagine that's phenomenal and and love, (laughs) love that they're getting involved in the sport too. Um, so is there anything else that you, uh, want to share with our listeners? Let's see. He's like going through his Rolodex in his brain, trying to think. Only one more thing. Ah. (laughs) This sport is so, this sport is so community oriented. One thing I should, one thing I should stress is bring a friend, go Mm -hmm. get a friend, drag him out there by the hand, let him shoot your rifle, bring a friend out to the range, teach him. Um, I, I have tried to expose so many people um, in my in my small circle to this sport. And it's not for everybody. You know, it's it really not for everybody. Some people come out and shoot a match and they never come back. Um, but there are certain types of people that really are gonna bite on this. And just just bring your bring your friends out, get them out to the range, put them behind a good rifle, give them some good ammunition, set them up for success, show them what they can do, and you you might have just introduced a new top 10 shooter to the sport. Good advice. Anything to add, Bevan? Not really. I think you guys have covered it all. (laughs) Awesome. Well, thanks again, you guys for signing on and and giving us your time and sharing with us. Uh, Make sure listeners that you get out and look for 22 Lima Romeo on YouTube and subscribe. Let's get them to a thousand subscribers, please. Uh, And just get out there and keep sharing the love. Thanks for having us on.